A baby monster is found on a mysterious island and brought back to the mainland, but when the kaiju creature's parents come to town, either the family reunites or we will all be destroyed. No, this isn't 1961's Gorgo or Mothra. This is Kaiju versus History. Gappa, the Trifibian Monster. Welcome back. This is Mild Man Reporter Miles, and joining me, as always, is the skeptical science to my side, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, it's me, uh, <laughs> Gappa, the Trivivian Monster. Maybe the the most fun title to say <laughs> of a, a lot of these. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. The entire time that I was watching this movie, I kept saying Yo Gappa Gappa, <laughs> Yo Gappa, Trivivian Miles, Land, Sea and air for some reason it needs to do all three of those (laughs) yeah Um, so this yeah this this film 1967 japanese kaiju film directed by hariyashu Naguchi, is an interesting entry in in kaiju cinema interesting in that so we're we're at this at, at the time where a lot of studios are recognizing that kids are really into these films I mean, the uh, Dae with Gamera kind of zeroed in on it, I think, sooner than anyone else. Yeah, 67, 68, 69 is when it takes over. Yeah, <laughs> they lean and, heavily into the fun antics side of kaiju films. Yeah, and there is certainly a Saturday, a Saturday afternoon quality about this film. For better or for worse, I mean, I mean you obviously have – it's hard to call him a protagonist because he's just, he's just there. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the, the, the kid in this movie isn't like – uh, the last Gamera film, he, I mean, he does have a role to play and he is written into important scenes and he, he pops up, but he just also feels like inconsequential for some reason. <laughs> a lot of the times the kids are the, the voice of reason or the, the uh, audience's mouthpiece for the right. monster. Like, no, the monster's getting hurt. You must tell them to stop the attack, that kind of thing. Right, and he's absolutely the voice of reason because he's telling everyone the entire time what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. But before we, I guess we get further into this movie, Patrick, tell us what's in a title. The literal Japanese title for this movie is Colossal Beast Gappa Daikaiju Gappa, and this was released, I believe, a year after the Japanese release by uh, AIT under the title Monster from a Prehistoric Planet. Which doesn't make a ton of sense. I, I I don't know if they're like saying it's from from prehistoric time. Yeah, prehistoric times. Like, is it a different planet from Earth? <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, Patrick, what I really want to know is how does Frankenstein get involved with Germany? Because I know it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> well, like I said, they just kind of use frankenstein as the kleenex for their kaiju movies it is just the name brand monster <laughs> for for all their titles so in west germany this was released as gappa frankenstein's flying monster G- gets rid of the other two modes of transport for the gappa beast and they're really <laughs> honing in on the the flying aspect yeah i mean this this one doesn't have a ton of i mean i think gappa is part of almost every single 
title except for Mexico or Spain. <laughs> yeah, well, we get some other fun titles in France. This was Gappa, the descendant of Godzilla. So he, he gets tied to the big G. And on the other side of the of Europe here, we've got the, the Belgium releases tying them to King Kong. The Terror of King Kong, Gappa, the, the Terror of King Kong, and Gappa, the Horrors of King Kong, were a couple of the other titles, which is, you know, you're you're getting a bit of a stinker here, Miles, when they're like, we got to use every well-known kaiju to sell this new Gappa monster. <laughs> we got to really pull out all the stops. And- yeah, I mean, you joked uh, in the intro here that this film is kind of Gorgo rehashed in Japan. Uh, instead of Great Britain. Yeah, and well, <laughs> yes, it, I, I did. But like I was also saying, it's also <laughs> well, we've done King Kong and that's the story of King Kong as well. And and Mothra to an extent where instead of a young Mothra, it's the the, the little cuties <laughs> that get stolen and brought back for a, a similar kind of Broadway show. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a Kong vibe. There's a lot of a, a pulp adventure vibe to this film. and. I would say, at least since that time, I'm not, I'm not against it. Like I, I, there, there's a, there's a, a certain love of the, of inserting the pulp adventure into the kaiju film, especially in the late '60s. We see, we see a lot of this, and in general, it, it's been fascinating rewatching all these Showa era films to realize how much the idea of a kaiju movie hadn't developed enough that. It wasn't its own kind of main storyline until we get some of these later Godzilla ones that are just all about the monsters. But yeah, I I would say really these seventies really starts to pick it up, but the sixties are Mm -hmm. still kind of telling these, these, these pulp hero type of stories. I mean, even when we were talking about Godzilla versus or uh, Ibra the Whore of the Deep, that had a a strong pulp story to it. I mean, it was, it it was also (laughs) kind of running on the James Bond vibe of the sixties and the popularity mm -hmm. of that. And that's going to continue in our next week's episode as well. But yeah, this one, it's a classic story that's been told in in kaiju films a couple of times. I noted here that film historian Stuart Galbraith, the, the fourth in the book, Japanese science fiction, fantasy and horror films made that kind of accusation. I, I think first that this is really them just taking the strip, the script for Gorgo and redoing it in the South Seas and in, in South of Japan. And yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, almost beat yes, for beat in a lot of parts of the movie. There are some, but at the same time, there's a like, lo- so, little local island boy that they kind of bring in their adventures. The, the, the main difference, Miles, there are women in this movie. If you remember, well, the, remember, there's not a single woman in Gorgo except for Gorgo, I guess, but so. The screamers, Gan Yamazaki and Ryuzo uh, Nakasini, Nakashini, Nakanishi, Nakanishi, they they claimed they, they had never seen Gorgo. And honestly, I can see it. This this definitely seems more like a, a Mothra vibe than Gorgo. Well, yeah, it, I mean, they also share so many similarities with, they, they with Mothra. Do, but... And that's probably going to be a, a more, well, it's more recent by like a year or so, but a more kind of zeitgeisty thing for their audience. Yeah, I mean, for for Gorgo, I mean, it's just the idea of the parent getting their kid. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything else in Gorgo outside. I mean, you do have the 
I guess the entertainment aspect, you have the the theme park aspect, but in terms of the actual story, it just doesn't really it doesn't really align for me mm-hmm. as the, as the same. I, I mean, I definitely see more Mothra than Gorgo. Yeah, and this set me on a a search. Gorgo was released in Japan, I think maybe a couple years after, but I think right right around that time, that's when Mothra was also released. So this is just like the kind of story that you write when you <laughs> when you have these kinds of kaiju. The the film sees an expedition crew funded by Playmate magazine owner, which I thought was very fun, Mister Fanazu. Yeah, <laughs> they they're going to. We have that very classic pulp adventure map transition scene where we get to see that they're going to. Obelisk Island, a a volcanic island with a native population that I mean looks almost exactly <laughs> like they got the same set and actors from the <laughs> Mothra Island from is it Infant Island in that movie or do they call it something else? I think it's Infant Island. Right, it's it's got to be Infant Island. It's, it's the main Mothra Island, but yeah, they they find a baby kaiju there like you do. With our, our main characters, our main leads, we have a photojournalist, a toko, and the scientist Hiroshi. Do they bring it? It's been a couple of weeks now since I've actually seen this movie. Do they bring it back as an egg, or they? They no, they like capture the little baby after. No, they the capture the right? baby, yeah, and and they bring it back to Japan as you want to do, and that's when it keeps growing and eventually gets up to like 1933 King Kong size. It's like 20, 25 feet tall, mm-hmm. and they <laughs> they put on a little piece of headgear and realize it's like telepathically linked to its parents who we see are the flying swimming and walking trifibians themselves who first make landing in Japan at Atami and then destroy the same castle we saw in King Kong and versus Godzilla five years prior Atami castle which I had to look up because I, I could have swore that was also the castle in Godzilla reads again but I don't think that's that's true but yeah, after unsuccessfully trying to kill the pan- parents, they realize they have to reunite them with the baby. And you get, a, you get the same sappy ending as Gorgo, which is fine because I like that ending. But yeah, no, it's a good ending. And then, of course, the the, the child that did they just take from the island. I forget. So I, I know that, at one point, that, like that they, they, he in one scene, he is in his island garb. He's just kind of like in his loincloth. And then mm-hmm. the next scene, he is in trainers, sweatpants, and <laughs> a college sweater. And, and I was that, like, that what does, happened to this black-faced boy? It does nothing to <laughs> assuage the amount of blackface makeup yeah, they have on this kid. It makes him look... <laughs> Even worse when he's disconcerting in that, for sure in, in normal clothes because it's like oh this is just a Japanese child that they've smeared with <laughs> with black paint yeah. for for the the entirety of the film. I don't I don't I don't have anything to say about that except like this that it, it, there's a lot of browning of Japanese actors when they they do these native scenes a lot of brown makeup. This is just straight black. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. It's yeah, there, I mean, there's one thing from like you know putting some bronzer or some tanner on someone. But this <laughs> kid is in blackface. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about the production of this movie. This is our film by Nakatsu Studios, and I think we've mentioned this before here on the podcast. But this 
movie came about because of a large uh, subsidized grant that the Japanese government under the Film Export Promotion Association gave out to several studios, I think between 1965 Oh no, I have my notes here. 1966 to 1972. But 66 and 67, I think, is when all the studios had their hands out and were looking for that, that money from the government. And this was to make specifically movies that could be exported to other countries, thereby giving, you know, giving some return on investments. Maybe if the, the movie does well overseas, then that, that makes its way back to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that all, the five major Japanese studios did this, including the, was it last week's episode, The X from Outer Space? That's why that movie came about. And that's yep. why Gappa comes about. And I, what's wild is finding out that this is the largest budget that this studio ever had. Oh, by a massive amount. They, like a lot of the Japanese studios, they did some period piece kind of like samurai films they had i think their own kind of version of zatoichi and then some gangster films and all those were (laughs) so so small (laughs) budgets by comparison this was definitely the i think the largest budget film in nakatsu's history uh most had a budget of like 20 to 50 million yen this was 500 million yen were translated to today's money like one point four million dollars, so not yeah, insignificant. A, yeah, it's a pretty sizable budget, and I don't really see it in this movie. I I can in some parts. I uh, we'll, we'll talk about the the technical aspects in a bit here, but the director uh, Noguchi uh, Haruyasu Noguchi did have I think some experience in other films, but this. Looks good. It doesn't look like, which one thing I hate about some kaiju movies, like a, a TV kind of set or production that they scale up a little bit. Right. There's elements that, that of this film that make it look very much like a professional movie. And the, the directing is part of that script. Not so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. already had a script, so they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. But uh, yeah, if you're taking it that this studio had to go from from nothing, no other kaiju movies, no other kind of tokusatsu special effects films, and ramp up for this production. I can see some of that money in this final project. Not $1.4 million worth, though. And part of this is they, they, they think Nikatsu Studios just took the money and paid off some bad investments <laughs> with part of that. Okay, okay. Now, so, now we're talking. This like, makes more sense to me. Like the best Hollywood duds <laughs> this was probably a a money-making scheme in in some mm. effects but are all kaiju movies <laughs> in the end oh, a bit of a stop. money-making scene it's for the art right so that like i said this only lasted this this film export appropriate films funds until 1972 when the money kind of dried up and there was some outrage because people were like we're just handing these studios money to make money themselves and not seeing a large return on investment. But yeah, we, they, they would continue on and the, the legacy of this financing system put in place what's in Japan right now, which is the, the film agency getting funding from the government in the form of cultural affairs and the Japanese arts council. 
So something similar is happening in, in Jap- uh, Japanese filmmaking today that I think was kind of inspired by this system. But yeah, I'm not sure if <laughs> Shin Godzilla or anything like that got that kind of handout. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm probably not. Um, but I, I can understand that they would want to. I mean, Godzilla is a cultural icon, so I can see they might have a vested interest in yeah, getting those movies made today. He's the cultural ambassador of Japan. <laughs> Is he still? I, 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 I don't know if he still is, but I know he was. Yes. I know there's a couple of like <laughs> that, that was like specific tourist like hotels that are like themed after Godzilla. He may still be the cultural ambassador. I have no idea. Yeah, that hotel I've looked into is booked up months in advance. Oh, I, I have no doubt in my mind. <laughs> and, and there's like very specific rooms where you can see Godzilla's head, and those are obviously like a year in he, advance, right? Because like he's like peering in, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> that's exactly what I want. Uh, so, I honestly, I want to go to whatever mall has that Godzilla Christmas tree that that makes the rounds every Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that breathes out the the fire and everything. It looks it looks fantastic. I do want to talk a little bit about how this was, I guess, the final of a series of concepts that this company had before making Gappa, because mm-hmm. reading these concepts makes me upset that we didn't get these movies. Yeah, and. Once again, this is part of this process for Nakatsu is they were working from zero, trying to make something out of nothing in they, they commissioned a lot of ideas by, by the two writers, Yokimura and Nakanishi. Planning was done by Hideo Kodama, I think as the producer for the film. And we've done a lost kaiju media episode, but we could have a whole podcast of Projects that never came to be, that never got off the planning stages. But yeah, let's, let's go through the four of them because yeah, one of them this, definitely would have been a better movie than Gappa. So, so the first one kind of seems a little ho-hum for me, which is giant monster, gigant or gigant? Gigant. That sounds like a Godzilla enemy, right? <laughs> I mean, Daikaiju gigant. 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 Oh, yeah. Gigant. Uh, <laughs> it's spelled the exact same way, too. <laughs> and then the pitch was basically a giant alien life form resembling a spider arrives on Earth and causes destruction, which is, I mean, fine. Giant spider. That can be mm. cool. I, I, we've we've I had bet, that. I bet they didn't do that because the puppet would have been too difficult. <laughs> Puppets, very hard to do well. It, it's the one of the four ideas that I'm just kind of like ho-hum about. Everything else sounds <laughs> really fun for me. There is giant squid monster. Arceus, and that is set during World War II, and a Nazi U-boat is attacked by a giant squid. <laughs> giant. Squid that monster. sounds awesome to me. It does. You probably don't. I don't know how they would do this with the Japanese in World War II. Be like the good guys. <laughs> I have no idea. That's why I want. Like, like <laughs> the idea of this. Like this sounds bug nuts, mm-hmm. and I want to check it out. But I don't think I want to check it out as much as Giant Monster Momonra. Momonra. That is where Japan is attacked by a giant mutated flying squirrel. Well, we got the flying aspect in the final product here with Gappa, but a flying squirrel, you say? 
that yes. immediately conjures up visions of uh, Varen, you know, the, the flying that Varen did. I <laughs> like, no, but like a squirrel, you would have to have a squirrel costume. I mean, you you would need a kaiju that would basically kick butt and eat nuts. Oh, oh man, what if that's what he did? He just like <laughs> gathered people up like they were nuts and just <laughs> put them in a giant tree somewhere. I, I just, the idea of a, like, because as far as I remember, I mean, outside of a couple of characters in Godzilla's canon, there's not a whole lot of mammals. Yeah. I, I mean, you have him fighting Kong, and you have, I mean, I guess you could argue King Cesar. King Cesar but, is the only one that really comes to mind, yeah. But everything else is either a, a robot, a reptilian, or... Well, so, um, so much of the, so many of the monsters kind of come from the sea. Yeah. Or, or buried underground. Or Godzilla himself or yeah. space. Uh, I, if this is like a regular flying squirrel that gets mutated, that like makes more sense. But it's like, this couldn't be like a, an existing giant creature that just hangs out in the forest, right? <laughs> I hope it was. The, the last project that they passed on was called, uh, Ragon, Devil of the Seabed. And it is about a giant manta ray that fights a giant iguana in the movie. And I am there for a monster battle film. If they had done that, I probably would have. Yeah, and that that kind of comes to my biggest problem with this movie is, again, it's a I mean, it's a fun little cute family movie, I guess. But at at this juncture, if your monsters aren't encountering other monsters or doing anything other than the typical kaiju wreaking havoc on the city unless you're doing it extremely well i'm it's kind of ho-hum at this point yep yep beyond having seen the movie a, a couple times not much about the effects or the suitmation blew me out of the water very little of it except um, we, we do have a, a veteran toho art director in akira watanabe who created the gappas the initial design though was from Subaraya Productions. And they sold it to Nakatsu, who decided that they would, once they decided on which project they went with, they just kind of shoehorned this monster, I think, into it. That This was potentially going to be an Ultraman villain, but they decided not to use it. I don't know if this looks, the, the final result of the suitmation looks like it would be in Ultraman. No. It, there, there's not as much that they can do with these these monsters. A lot of people have described them as kind of chicken lizards <laughs> because of the, the large beak that they have and maybe the, the way that they carry themselves. Akira Watanabe left Godzilla after Invasion of Astro Monster the prior year, made his own effects studio. He was still working for Subaraya at the time as art director, but did the effects for this for Gappa with his own team. And there, there are things to laud here. I think some of the miniatures and the destruction sequences are actually pretty well done. It is derivative of, I think, what the, the full Subaraya team w- was able to do when they had a budget. Mm-hmm. And th- this kind of like evens out in that way. This is say on that, that same same level. But what, what did you think of the suits, Miles? Did you, did you like that there's some some dimorphism between the 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 mom and the dad gappa i mean the suits are fine they honestly they don't do a lot for me i think the 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 designs themselves are honestly somewhat uninspired and yeah i mean there's there's 
it's cool that there's some difference between all three of them, to be honest. But I didn't find the suits that compelling. Mm-hmm. And and that I mean, it's personal taste, but I, I didn't think they were extremely interesting to look at. I didn't find the I mean, the, the baby Gappa is kind of the the main character. Right. And they constantly are, are kind of shifting that one differently. And he was kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah, they're all kind of ugly. They got a, a gargoyle esque look with their their swept backed wings that, you know, don't really like close around their body. Yeah, I, I I will say the the appearance look intimidating at the very least. There's they don't really. I mean, sure. That, if I saw one towering over me, I'd be intimidated. But well, like, they, I mean, they don't have that goofy <laughs> stare that even Godzilla in in this time period would get from time to time. I think. Yeah, but, I mean, I I appreciate Godzilla's goofy stare because he looks like a champ. Because the eyes aren't completely set forward. I, I think they're kind of like mm-hmm. a little bit to the sides and. Maybe maybe that helps. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you see both eyes in a lot there, of there. There are some decent dogs. moments where they have the parents seemingly emote a certain way. And but there, there isn't a moment in this film where I felt like the and I mean, it's not that the, that the the monster has to be original or has to look a certain way, but everything kind of felt like I was being given generic brand Fruit Loops. <laughs> well, I mean, you could say that with a lot of Godzilla knockoffs, and and, and that's and that's that. I mean, that you're 100 percent correct. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I'm going into some of these movies, it's hard not to feel that way. And I think part of me it would have been a little more lenient on it if any other aspect of the movie lifted it, and it well, doesn't. You know what lifted it for me is the film was scored by uh, Seitaro Mori. <laughs> in the the dub, it, a lot of it gets kind of taken out, but it you know it's classical Japanese roots. But there are some swinging hits on that soundtrack, Miles, and the Gappa song we get over the credits in Gappa the beginning song is wild. <laughs> it, yes, sung by a songwriter and singer uh, Ketsa Sohiku Miki, and it's great. I'm a sucker for the Gamera song, or the the multiple Gamera songs that they oh, do. Yeah. The kids' courses, and this one is just like a sixties crooning <laughs> song yeah, about it's, Gappa. It, it's 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 odd. So let's talk a little bit about. I mean, since we're already talking about the scenes from this movie, what about this movie worked for you? What were your, some of your favorite scenes? Well, I, I do think they did some of the destruction right. We get to see someplace besides Tokyo at first in the movie, which. Was nice to see personally. Uh, and like I said, we had seen Atomic Castle destroyed, but they also show the below Atomic Castle is the city of Atomic and they show destruction happening there as well. And it's just kind of, I mean, I guess it's <laughs> not that visually striking as, as destroying Tokyo, but I, I appreciate they like escalate that element of, of the plot. Um, mm. There are some great ground level shots of people running away with probably extremely improperly scaled blue screened legs, but that that worked very yeah. well. It seemed like that that scale went up like way higher when they went to the street level shots, you know, as they go from like 300 feet to like 600 or something, if you probably did the math on that. But yeah, I mentioned that we get, get to see Atomy Castle destroyed, just like in King Kong versus Godzilla. And I guess I always assumed that that was the same one from Godzilla Raids Again, Osaka Castle. And they just look very similar. But unlike Osaka, Atami Castle isn't 
a real castle. It was built in 1959 for like tourism reasons, I guess. I mean, so here's the thing is like, it's a real castle, but it's just not like an old castle. Well, yeah, it it would, I guess maybe they had in other places like rebuilt castles that were there. I don't think there was ever one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's fine, but like, it's weird to like say, which is so interesting that they both Toho and this film decided that that's the castle they want to destroy. I mean, it and makes sense if you're trying to like highlight tourism. <laughs> what better way to do that? To destroy than to a, a, a motion picture. Yeah. Well, yeah. And when Godzilla Raids again came out, that was only two years old. So that was like absolutely fresh. Right. And the, <laughs> the atomic destruction is often cited as kind of a highlight for the film. I think Variety even talked about how that was a big moment and it's it's probably the best looking part of the film there there are some destruction scenes that don't look as good and the models aren't as great there there are parts of the tokyo destruction which is okay but yeah and then they it just seems like they run out of money in some oh areas. yes it a hundred percent i mean this movie also just kind of ends um the, the airfield the indian at the airfield is just a flat stage <laughs> with like oh, water I, I want to talk a little bit about the ending of this movie because the ending of this movie doesn't just end with the monsters flying off mm-hmm. the ending of this movie happens when gosh what was her name our two main leads kind of yes but the 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 there's a there's an unpronounced love triangle that if you're not paying any attention you would miss completely because it's it doesn't seem to be a moment like a dramatic love triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which is it kind of gave me whiplash because I was like, wait, does no one care in this situation? Because both both male characters seem to be fine with each other and they were fine with the idea that their affections were, you know, being entertained. Mm-hmm. But at, at the end, like she's like, oh, well, you know what? i I should stop, you know, worrying about science and all this stuff. I'm just going to go home and have babies. Yes, perhaps I'll stop covering these giant monsters that now inhabit our world, who I've probably taken Pulitzer photos of reuniting with their baby. And it's going to be a housewife. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then and then the, the, the last shot is like one of the guys running up and like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. No, um, they, was it like the magazine producer? It was like, the magazine oh, you, you, guy. Yeah. You can't let her go. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. Is like one of them like eggs the other one on, which I like because I traditionally do not like love triangles, especially it's certainly especially bad ones. But be- because that they didn't really like dramatize or dramatize this this love triangle, like the guy was like, yeah, you should go after her. And like didn't yeah. think twice about it because he's even been like, I'm all about science. I don't care about people and makes that pretty clear. Um, <laughs> so I mean, that aspect what could have been interesting under better writing, but that, that, yeah. that ending is like, what just happened? Like, cause the parents fly off. That is the moment where you think, Oh, this is the end of the film. It's so funny because the cast is actually really good. Yoko uh, Yamamoto plays, uh, Itoko. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things is I couldn't help but think if Ashiro Honda at this point was directing this film, he would have been able to get, even with a bad script, very good, important performances out of these actors. They they don't have a lot to do in this. Movie. No, they, they just, don't. Just like Gorgo, I, I, like, I agree with you. The acting is fine. <laughs> and this is a perfectly watchable movie, like despite my criticisms of it, because that's what I'm here to do is I'm here to like, like look at this movie in terms of kaiju history and everything. 
but it's a perfectly watchable film. You know, it, it's this isn't the deadly claw. Yeah, I liked it enough, and, and we'll get to our, our rating in a moment here as well. I liked it enough where I'd probably watch it again, actually. It is a rollicking kind of adventure, very cookie cutter, but it could be on in the background and have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> it's, it's certainly a boring Saturday afternoon. Like if it was on and I, I if we were in an era where I was switching through channels these days and it was on or if it was on at a place that I was at, I would not be upset and I would probably watch some of it. But would I start it from the beginning and watch it all the way through? I'm not sure. If if we were still in a, in a time where, or if I had popped on like to Pluto TV and it happened to be on the middle of it, or I, yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've seen this on your tubies or or what have you from from time to time, and I think you can probably just find this on YouTube because Monster from a Prehistoric Planet, I want to say uh, AIT. I don't think it had a theatrical release. They just put it on television here in 1968, I believe. No, it's it's on Tubi because that's how I watched it. Well, what um, I'm saying is, I think the American version of it fell into the public domain. I think you can find it like anywhere. Uh, so not the Japanese original, but the the Monster from Prehistoric Planet version of it. Yeah, the Japanese version you can still watch on Tubi, and uh, honestly, a pretty decent transfer that they have for it. I uh, wasn't. I wasn't too upset about that, but let's talk about the rating because I'm I'm really curious. You know, I know you said that you would be okay to watch it again. That doesn't mean it, like <laughs> anything in terms of its score. So I mean, because there, there are movies that I will watch again that are a one out of ten. Well, um, it, it's just like Gorgo. It's like it doesn't do anything excellent, but the plot is interesting moved along enough that it is. It was a watchable experience, mm-hmm. and yeah, I thought it came out pretty well. They were attempting, I believe, to go for a more serious tone of a, of a kaiju film. And in parts, they succeeded. I, I really liked the, the stupid, sappy ending <laughs> to the movie, just like I did in Gorgo. And the, the music, especially that they're playing over that last scene, uh, I enjoyed a, a good amount. I think this movie, therefore, kind of stands out of the other movies of the 60s because it is a little more serious. Even though they might have been trying to appeal to a younger audience and they had a kid in the movie. But yeah, um, I, my, my final score for personal enjoyment, I'm giving an eight out of ten. Uh, like I said, I finished the film and I felt like I could watch it again. I wish there was, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000 version to to immediately watch. But actually, no. What about you, Miles? Well, I was certainly more entertained by this than I was the X Matter Space. I think this is a perfectly inoffensive, um, mildly entertaining monster movie. I gave it a seven, a, a generous seven out of ten. <laughs> I mean, because it's it, it's perfectly fine. Like, it's is it poorly executed in some areas? Yes. Does it not really do a whole lot for me in terms of an exciting plot? Yeah, but I mean, it's got some fun, pulpy stuff. It's got. Like if this movie, like I said, if this movie came on the afternoon, if I was somewhere where channels were still a thing and I turned this on and I had nothing to do, I would be fine. Like it is an, it is an entertaining movie. Yeah. I think and that's, that's really all I can give it. It is, it is, is entertaining. It's not awful, mm-hmm. but it also lags in a lot of things. I mean, they, they 
did it though. I mean, they, they went from zero to a kaiju movie <laughs> when they got that, that government handout. And I do think you can see a lot of the movie and the technical aspects of it outside of the script. There were no other monster movies on the director's belt. So this is maybe closer to a, a Gamera versus Baragon situation where it feels like they got a big budget and they decide to go with a, you know, grittier down to earth adventure story. And they do that with the, the, the camera work in the movie and kind of the way they frame that action from the, the ground point. If they could have focused on the leads a little bit more, it might've made the movie a little bit more interesting. I feel like it's such a easy thing to do that like this movie being made today would have a hundred percent have done it. Those two would have been like moving towards a relationship, a Toki and the, what's his name? The scientist. And at the end of the movie, they would have fallen in love and adopted the child in blackface, <laughs> like, you know, washed it off him. And, you know, when they see Gappa, uh, Gappa's parents coming and getting their child, that would have moved them to make a, a family unit of their own. And it, it's just so funny that didn't happen. But yeah, uh, digging this a lot of points. <laughs> I I just wrote off the top of my head, Miles, a better ending to the film. I mean, uh, the, the, the technical aspect is also a weak point. I gave it a seven as well. I gave it a seven, too. So uh, it it's for them not having another kaiju movie. I thought Akira Watanabe did a great job. He is definitely a, a part of that Subaraya machine. I, I think you have a competent, a, a competent cast. Mm-hmm. Given a passable script and a decent enough special effects team, because you have some cool special effects scenes in this movie, they do they do a lot with this budget. But I just don't think there's not any. I don't know. This, this is gonna sound really stupid, but there's there's not any soul there. Like it definitely mm-hmm. seems like we made a monster movie to make a monster movie, and we have no other reason to make this film. Yeah, and I know yeah. that sounds dumb coming no, I, from someone who like loves Go- Godzilla films and everything, but like it just it just seems like we're just going through the motions of this trend. I I think that's going to be our through thread for a lot of these Godzilla knockoff films. Is is one of the reasons possibly. that there was kind of a collapse in some of these kaiju films and their enjoyment, and Ashiro Hondo was worried about. It. He's worried that. The more they would knock down the budget of the films, the less they'd be able to devote to making those movies. Well, that and there's and like, then the I audience mean, would dry up, especially when you have like when you have monsters who are just being monsters, not being characters. That's mm. a problem. The, the the reason that Godzilla and Gamera films end up becoming the franchise they do is because with each film they do, and I understand that you can do this as you further films, which is why some of these other ones, I I think should have gone off the bat and like, okay, we got to fight another creature mm-hmm. because these characters endure like Godzilla as a character ends up enduring. And yes, he becomes interesting and sometimes less interesting as the series goes on the Showa era, but you have things you can work with and have this character respond to. There is an identity there. A lot of times, some of these knockoffs, which can be a good, I mean, Gamera was a, a Godzilla knockoff and yep. it ended up, being great the the problem is when it's just a faceless monster that has no character mm-hmm. and yes there is some emotional like resonance in the ending with these parents being reunited with their child 
there's nothing else there. Like they're going off the island to be left alone. Yeah. They're not fighting nothing. They're not they're not gonna do anything. We get a, a romance plot that is resolved that did not feel earned. I agree with you there. It sounds like we're, we're, we're going into the evocative uh, in a bad headspace, knocking womp this womp. down. <laughs> but where this ranks as a, a piece of kaiju art, I'll, I'll tell you, there's not much of a legacy for this movie as mm-hmm. Nikatsu kind of in the nineties would declare bankruptcy after two decades of making pink films, like zero budget, what, what's known as Roman pornos they produced until 1988. They, they sold their, <laughs> The, the business to Namco, of all places. Namco bought, bought them out, and the production arm in 2010 made some... When some, am I going to see Gappa in a Yakuza a game? Yeah. In a couple of... They made a couple of movies in 2010 that got some notoriety under Sushi Typhoon Productions, mm-hmm. including Alien vs. Ninja and Mutant Girl Squad, but they haven't made a movie since then. Mutant Girl Squad. Didn't they at one point plot to have this monster face the monster from last week's movie, the extra matter space. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a, a project that, yeah, they would want to have done in like the nineties or something. Yeah. I, I, remember, I think back. I read somewhere that they, they had like, there was a script or a, a pitch that happened to have Gappa versus was it Ilala. I'm still waiting on Gorgo versus Conga. <laughs> Wake me up when that, that's, the British that's, that's comic books. Come. Yeah. But yeah, where, where's this rank as a piece of Kaiju art? does really fall flat for me because it doesn't bring anything really to the kaiju conversation that these movies are having. This is a great deal of derivation and it looks better. Like, I mean, it looks pretty good. It looks better than my favorite Godzilla knockoff Gamera, <laughs> the first Gamera movie, which had a kind sure. of micro budget. But yeah, at best I could say it, it did kind of look a little ahead of its time in, in the directing department, but yeah, it, it does stick out like a sore thumb in these sixties films. And like I said, reminded me a lot of Gamma versus Baragon, but I think I think get, that movie is, is more important to the Kaiju canon than this one. So I gave it a five out of 10, pretty lacking in, in that department. I think if you take Gappa out, if Gappa became a lost film, we didn't lose that much. What about you, Miles? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I also give it a five out of ten. I I mean, it's not really known outside of uh, Kaiju Diehards. Uh, it's I guess most interesting bit of notoriety came came from when it was used. Bits and pieces of it were used in a, a Red Dwarf episode that wasn't even <laughs> liked that very much. I love Red Dwarf, and I don't even remember it. <laughs> it's just one of those things that they you know probably took out of context. Yeah, I mean, it just. It, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not very well known in in most circles. It was a flash in the pan kind of movie. Didn't really have much of an impact, and I mean, that's what we judge that that aspect by. So, yeah, I mean, I gave it a five out of ten because it was at least entertaining. It wasn't a difficult movie to find. It did have some, you know, impact at least at one point in time, uh, enough to where it wasn't like you know our American movies from the fifties, but. Mm-hmm. Which I will never forgive. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, think- it, it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't really have much of a legacy. Yeah, I mean, even if it had just been a good kaiju movie, those can stand out. Sure, in, absolutely. In the field, but it it didn't do that, and don't hear a lot 
a lot about gappa heads out there, unfortunately. That that brings my score to about a seven, round up to a seven years, down to a six. I think actually this one splits the difference right down the middle, but falls just below to go down to a a six total for the podcast. I'm okay with that, honestly. I I, I was leaning towards a seven, but I'm I'm okay with it being that low. Like, because six is also not anything above a five or five and, um, and higher is at least watchable and entertaining. Like, so I want to talk about that a little bit because anywhere from five to seven is, you know, at least a fun enough movie that if you caught it, you're not going to be upset that you watched it. You're like, oh, that was, that was fine. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes that might really work for you. Sometimes it won't, but you're also not going to be like, oh yeah, that was one of the best kaiju movies I've ever seen. That's on par with, you know, yeah. invasion of Astro Monster or something <laughs> we, like that. We don't, it's not. Don't talk about our, our scale too much, but what we determine as a five or, you know, two and a half stars out of, of five, if you're going on that scale, it, we describe as mixed feelings. Flawed but worthy and moderately insightful as far as where it stands as a piece of kaiju art. And I feel like that might be even closer to what we're giving at a six out of ten, which is good, interesting concept or execution and, and things like that. This falls right in that category. This is the same as uh, last week's score, X from Outer Space, which I think I probably enjoyed these about as much. I think I gave them both a seven. Yeah, I think so. I, I did right. not. <laughs> We're done with Gappa. We don't got to talk about Gappa no more, Miles. But we, we can talk about where people can chat us up on kaijuversushistory.com. Take a look at all of our episodes. We're going through every kaiju movie chronologically. We just had some ups and downs, as Miles mentioned. You can find our letterboxed kaiju versus history or letterbox slash kaiju versus history. And and see our rankings so far and what we have coming up. And on Twitter, Kaiju versus History on Twitter. Uh, what what is happening when we come back next week, Miles? Uh, so next week we're going to take a brief interlude from looking at films of the 1960s and talk about what's been forgotten, misplaced, and outright lost. That's right. Tune in next time for a special edition episode of the podcast that we are calling. History versus Kaiju Lost Media. Bum, bum, bum.